All right, well, uh, time to start another dinner table blog and podcast. Uh, again, this is your host, Joe Sheehan, and I'm coming from, I'm talking to you, excuse me, from rainy Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, we've got some rain moving through. It's a little cloudy. Um, but I'm super excited about what we're going to be discussing today. Hopefully, we'll be able to cover a myriad of different topics, uh, especially topics that um, are pertinent for what's going on today. Uh, first and foremost, we are coming on a little under two weeks for coaches, or for excuse me, for pitchers and catchers to report for two spring training. So, baseball season is on its way. Also, baseball season begins here in Texas for the high school baseball players. So I wish all of the high school baseball players out there a ton of success and stay safe and you know keep your eye on the ball. Um, I myself am a baseball coach here in uh, Texas, and uh, we have our first, uh, I guess you could say, scrimmage uh, tomorrow. It's going to be a ton of fun to uh, be able to see these guys play for the first time. Uh, this is my first year coaching at Kimball High School, and I'm really super excited about that. Um, we'll see how this season goes. Um, and if from time to time, if you hear me cough or sneeze or things like that, just understand I'm getting over a really bad bout of the flu and, of course, strep. I got hit with the double whammy. Um, that's what happens when you're a teacher. You get exposed to a lot of really nasty things at school. Uh, kids, you know, God bless them. They bring everything with them to school. Parents send their school, kids to school sick. I uh, highly recommend you don't do that, please, uh, as a teacher. If your child is running a fever, keep them home. Do everything that you can to keep them away from school. That helps uh, not spread the diseases um, that teachers have to deal with and that teachers bring home and get their own kids sick. Uh, if you hear coughing in the background, that might actually be my eldest daughter, who, uh, by the way, just turned 12 years old. Uh, yesterday, uh, super, super cool, uh, 12 year old who continually surprises me, uh, on a daily basis. She's amazing. Um, and I just, I'm sad that she's home sick with her dad, but Hey, life goes on, right? So what are we going to talk about today with the dinner table podcast? Well, uh, again, uh, we're going to talk about the Super Bowl. Super Bowl is on Sunday, we got the New England New England Patriots versus the Los Angeles Rams. That sounds familiar and sounds weird all at the same time. Uh, the Los Angeles Rams used to be in St. Louis, but before they were in St. Louis, they were in Los Angeles. So uh, for those of us who are old enough to remember the Los Angeles Rams uh, back in their heyday, um, it's pretty neat to see them back in Los Angeles. However, uh, for those of us who have family in San Diego, it's also sad to see the San Diego Chargers now become the Los Angeles Chargers. And they had a pretty good season as well. But looking at the Super Bowl, um, you know, some interesting things are going to come out. Uh, first of all, the Super Bowl is always marred in controversy, uh, especially when the New England Patriots are uh, the other team going to be playing. I'm a huge Patriots fan, huge Tom Brady fan. I think the man is a wonderful football player, wonderful quarterback. I think Bill Belichick is a genius uh, as a defensive football coach. I just love watching Belichick's defenses. I love watching his adjustments uh, to the offenses. 
Um, and so, again, it's it's always fun to watch uh, the Patriots. And even if the Patriots get down in this game, if anything, uh, if we hearken back to Super Bowl 51, we know what's going to happen. Uh, don't count the Patriots out. Don't count them out. Um, the, the Rams have a... Uh, amazing offense. Uh, it definitely surprises. Very scrappy. Uh, they've got a huge back in Anderson, and uh, it's going to be hard to contain him. Their offensive line is incredible. Uh, watch them against the Cowboys. The Cowboys' offensive line could not even move. The, or excuse me, the Cowboys' defensive line could not even move the Rams' offensive line. So it was incredible. Uh, it was a w- wonderful game to watch. Um, and so this Super Bowl, I think, is not going to uh, be a disappointment for a lot of people. Uh, I do have the uh, Patriots as um, my favorite. Um, I'm not alone. Most of America believes the Patriots will win the Super Bowl, uh, which is really kind of cool, uh, especially when you take into consideration that the Boston Red Sox beat the Los Angeles Dodgers to win the 2018 World Series. So this is uh, Foxborough's opportunity to bring another ring and another trophy back to Boston and New England. And I'm sure the uh, New England faithful are happy uh, to see their favorite team uh, in there. And I think the only thing that would make people in New England uh, any happier than a Red Sox World Series and a New England Super Bowl would be a Celtics NBA title or perhaps God willing, my voice to God's ears, a Bruin Stanley Cup. Uh, I had a wonderful opportunity in 2011. I was in Vermont uh, attending my residency week for my master's degree in foreign policy. And uh, I am a big Boston Bruins fan. Again, I told you guys in the last episode, huge New England sports fan. And uh, got to watch uh, the... Bruins take it to the Vancouver Canucks with a bunch of people from Vancouver, uh, believe it or not. And uh, it was really fun. Well, uh, my wife and I, during that trip, we decided that we wanted to take uh, a short vacation. Uh, My wife and I had two young children at the time, and we hadn't been able to go on a trip in a while. So we decided that we were going to drive down from uh, Northfield, Vermont, to Boston, and we did, and we stayed at the Omni Parker House Hotel, and I highly recommend if you're ever in Boston to stay there. That's a wonderful place to stay, uh, full of history. Uh, Ho Chi Minh worked there, Malcolm X worked there, uh, JFK proposed to Jackie there. Uh, it's a wonderful place to stay, super comfy beds, super comfy place to stay. And yes, I'm giving a free uh, shout out there, but hey, if the Omni Parker House uh, wants to uh, sponsor this uh, program, I highly, I'll sign on the dotted line. Uh, I love that place. Um, I'll, I'll take payment in free room. I <laughs> uh, really will. I love, that's my favorite place to stay while I'm there. But lo and behold, in 2011, when I was staying there, the uh, parade route for the Stanley Cup went right by my hotel. And so my wife and I got up early. We got ourselves a nice, wonderful spot in the front row. Uh, on the on the street there and uh, got to see Lord Stanley's Cup being held by Chara. Uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful time. Uh, completely serendipitous. But uh, again, uh, one of my favorite memories of Boston, uh, going to Boston. 
uh, with my family. And I hope so, hope to get back up that way uh, with my girls. L- Want to do the Freedom Walk, do the Freedom Tour, uh, ride the old Charlie throughout the old neighborhoods and head up to Harvard and MIT where hopefully one day my eldest daughter, who has a tremendous interest in aerospace engineering will want to go but uh you know we can keep our fingers crossed but again she's 12 years old uh children change their mind if i'm any uh reference i had probably four different majors just in college so (laughs) again uh kids do change their minds so but my daughter is uh again super brilliant super uh creative super talented and uh, I want to expose her to that world up there. Um, you know, Harvard would be a good choice. But again, um, there are certain things that are going on at Harvard that uh, makes me question whether or not I want even to expose my daughter to it. Uh, MIT tends to be a little bit more uh, level-headed, tends to be a little less controversial, tends to be a little more favorable, uh, look favorable towards uh, our lifestyle. And so that's one of the reasons why I look at MIT and go, hmm. That might work. But back to the Super Bowl, Um, I expect, uh, again, for uh, the New England Patriots to win. Uh, I'm going to call it. I'm going to say it's going to be 38-21 Patriots. 38-21 Patriots. Um, I think that's that's a good score, Um, and I think that's what's going to happen there. You know, again, it all depends on the adjustments that both teams make. Um, I do find it interesting that... The youngest coach ever to coach a Super Bowl is going to be coaching the Super Bowl with uh, the Rams. So I think that says something. But then again, he's a good coach. And uh, he took he brought his team all the way to the Super Bowl. So should be a good game. The next thing that I would like to talk with you guys about is... Um, Again, back uh, to kind of continuing our conversation from last week um, about the New York, uh, the New York uh, Reproductive Health Act or whatever it's called, Um, and looked like over the over the week, uh, Virginia tried to do the same thing. Uh, The Republicans in the Virginia Senate. Did a very good job in their questioning of the members who had sponsored the bill and especially exposing uh, their ideology, how that they believe that even at the moment of birth, a child uh, can be murdered. All in the name of convenience. Let's not pretend that this is about the life of a child. Let's not pretend that this is about the life of a mother. Let us, pre- let us acknowledge the truth. This is all about convenience. This is 100% about convenience. There are OBGYNs around the country talking about that it is incredibly rare, incredibly rare that a child needed, needs to be terminated at that point. Um, this is ultimately um, just sickness in the head. Um, a lot of people are talking, um, and I think rightfully so, that this, this is a pivotal moment in American history. We are, the, the lines are clearly being drawn between do you believe that the unborn child in a mother's womb is itself an autonomous person worthy of protection of the Fifth Amendment, the Fourteenth Amendment, the Constitution, and the laws of nature's God, or 
do you believe that that child doesn't exist and cannot exist until it is outside the mother's womb? That is a scary slope to be on, an incredibly scary slope to be on. Because think about it in this, in this terms, where do we stop? If you can kill a child all the way up to the ninth month, if you can kill a child all the way up until birth, which is what Miss Tran in uh, Virginia said she would be willing to support. Then she tried to backtrack it, of course, because it blew up in her face. But again, we can't trust these people. These are people who do not have a moral compass. All right. For them, everything is everything is condensed into a materialistic worldview. And by materialism, I don't I'm not talking about, you know, do I have a Mercedes or do I have the best house? I'm not talking about keeping up with the Joneses, that type of materialism. I'm not talking about Madonna's material girl. What I'm talking about is this idea that comes from evolutionary science that humanity is nothing more. Each individual human is nothing more than a few bucks of chemicals and material. That's what I mean by materialistic. If you have this idea that human beings are nothing more than a, a random cosmic accident of a bunch of different chemicals coming together and that that amount of chemicals is nothing more than $9, then your viewpoint of a human being is that the human being is expendable when it becomes an inconvenience to society, especially when you take that materialistic worldview and you put it into the worldview of commun- of Marxism, which puts everything into dollars and cents. Everything is about money. Everything is about expediency. Everything is about expense. And again, I talked about this last time, Cass Sunstein, who is the regulatory czar under Obama wrote a paper when he was at Harvard equating the fact that people under the age of 16 and people over the age of 65, because they no longer contribute to the monetary system and contribute monetarily to society, they no longer deserve health care. Now, when you look at that and you understand that, it should send a shiver down your spine that these people want to run your health care. These people want to run your health care. Now, understand, the Democratic Party has always been on the side of death. It has always been on the side of economic expediency. It has always been on the side of, of, of control and power. Going all the way back to pre-slavery, The Democratic Party has always been about that. It is not a party of liberty. It is not a party of freedom. It is a party of slavery. It is a party of eugenics. The KKK was a militant arm of the Democratic Party during Jim Crow. After the Civil War, they couldn't hold the slaves anymore because of the passage of the 15th, 14th, and 13th Amendments. So then they formed the the militant part of the Democratic Party. Now, guess what? The militant part never left. The KKK didn't all of a sudden become Republican. Matter of fact, the Republican Party has always been the party of freedom. The Republican Party was the party that came down into the South and registered black voters to vote. The Republican Party was the one that helped blacks get guns in the South when they were not allowed to own guns. 
And it wasn't all of a sudden the Republican Party decided to accept all of these Dixiecrats when Reagan decided to run. No, they just moved out into the obscure parts of the Democratic Party, but they've always been there. Eugenics, this idea that you can perfect humanity by eliminating its imperfections, was forwarded by Margaret Sanger, founder and creator of Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood knowingly targeted African-American communities and poor communities in order to eradicate and, and neutralize the poor and the African-American. Now we have a Democratic Party who has put things out there that make them more attractive to African-Americans. And African-Americans support this party overwhelmingly because of the war of Johnson's war on poverty. In fact, Johnson knew wholeheartedly that the African-American community, the inner city community, would vote Democrat the rest of their lives as long as he had his war on poverty. Statistics show, and you can go do the research, that top-down government programs have done nothing Nothing to fix poverty. And yet, we still funnel millions and hundreds of millions of dollars into Planned Parenthood. And where are these Planned Parenthood located? I guarantee you, you're not seeing a Planned Parenthood in a rich community. They are right in the heart of the ghetto. They never changed their minds. And now... They feel emboldened by America's acceptance of socialism that now they can come out and make their arguments boldly. The governor of Virginia, who was a pediatrician, now comes out and says he supports abortion all the way up until childbirth. And then when people call him out on it, he says that's immoral. I think the greatest line is when Nancy, you know, Nancy Pelosi's famous line that building a wall is immoral. Well, the same party that told us that building a wall is immoral now just openly celebrated infanticide. We can no longer be on this side. The, bat, the battle lines are drawn. You need to know where you stand on this issue. And no, you can't be one foot in or one foot out. You'll get eaten alive. You have to know. Is it a child? If it is, then it's a child from conception. It can't just be a child all of a sudden when it has a heartbeat. It is a child or it's not. And I think we can all agree it's a child because once it comes out of the mother's uterus, it is a living, breathing child, fully formed ready to live a wonderful and glorious life ahead of it. And I'm not going to go back on the tirade about how we need to help take care of the children. We do. But we need to do it as a people, not as a government. So, again, guys, we got to stand fast. We have to stand firm on our beliefs. We can't vacillate. This is going to be the issue that is going to define our times. Mark my word. This will be the issue that defines our times. The same way that slavery defined the times of that generation. 
we have to be, we have to choose. You have to choose a side. Now, the next thing I wanted to talk about, I know that was pretty heavy. It's hard to segue from something like that. It really is. It's really hard to move on. That was pretty heavy, pretty deep. Well, guess what? I'm going into another deep topic. Today marks the 75th anniversary of Korematsu v. U.S. Oh my gosh, what is that? Oh, whew. I'm, bringing the, I'm bringing the intel here. I'm bringing the intellectualism here. I'm bringing the law. Oh my God. All right, time for the policy geeks to get all excited and everybody else go, huh? What? All right, so my, my lawyer friends that are out there, I love you guys. Uh, my political science geeks out there, get ready. Woo, we're going to rev up the gears here. Because we're going to talk about Supreme Court cases. Woo! Oh, I know. It's sexy, isn't it? But we need to talk about this. It's 75 years. 75 years since Korematsu. Well, my faithful listener, what is Korematsu? Well, hopefully, your civics teacher, when you were studying uh, civics in high school, taught you these cases of the Supreme Court that set precedent. Hopefully you learned about these big time cases out there. But if you didn't, that's okay. Um, you're not alone. A lot of people, when you start talking about Korematsu, they're gonna be like, I don't understand. Korematsu, what is that? Like some dessert at an Italian restaurant? No, 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 my, my lovely friends. It's not tiramisu, it's Korematsu, okay? And uh, that sounds like, you know, Constantinople, you know, Istanbul is Constantinople, Istanbul is Constantinople. No, no, no. You know, Korematsu is not Terramisu. Okay, anyways, bad joke. All right. So what is Karamatsu? All right. Karamatsu was a Japanese gentleman who was interred, excuse me, yes, interred in the Japanese internment camps. Okay. So he was interned there um and when he was released his entire life was gone all right <clears throat> his business had been ransacked his property stolen and so he sues the federal government for recompense and rightfully so he had done nothing wrong he had committed no crime other than being born japanese that was it and there was humongous anti-japanese sentiment in the in the united states as a result of pearl harbor and so he, he takes his case all the way to the Supreme Court. Now, Korematsu loses. He loses his case. And the justification that the court uses is that in the name of national security, the federal government can inter, in, excuse me, intern its citizenship, its citizenry in a case of emergency for national security purposes. Now, why is that important? Why, why, I mean, think about that. And you're like, well, you know, they're not going to do that again. What are you talking about? It's not a big deal. You know, there might have been Japanese spies. Well, there, there were Japanese spies, guys. There were German spies. There were Russian spies. They were British spies. But we didn't intern them. Okay? So, again, put your thinking caps on. Really think about it. Could this ever happen in the United States again? I would argue it's already happening. We have U.S. citizens 
that are sitting in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, who have never had a trial for their crimes, who haven't even had a tribunal for their crimes. And what is their crime? Aiding and abetting terrorists. Now, you might be saying, well, 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 wait a minute, Joe. Are you saying that we shouldn't go after terrorists? No, no, no. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. We should go after terrorists. I, matter of fact, my master's degree is in counterterrorism. International relations with a focus on counterterrorism. I think we should go after counterterrorism. But I also think we have this wonderful, lovely document called the Constitution. And again, in that Constitution, guaranteed by the Fifth Amendment, you are not going to be deprived of your life, your liberty, or your property without due process. They can't put you in prison without trying you. That's the Sixth Amendment. You have a right to a speedy trial. They've, they've been sitting in Guantanamo for almost 18 years. And they haven't had a trial. That's a clear violation of their due process rights. Clear violation of their Sixth Amendment rights. Clear violation of their Seventh Amendment rights. And I would even say clear violation of their Eighth Amendment rights. But it's all done in the name of National security. It's all done in the name of the global war on terror. And where does the government get this authorization? Well, guess what? It gets the authorization through Korematsu. Korematsu is still good law. It's never been challenged. It has never been overturned. It's still good law. And so we have the precedent. So again, when you sue the federal government... If you can get representation, if you can get a hold of a lawyer, and you sue the federal government, and you've been charged with terrorism, guess what? You're screwed. But here's something that should scare you, and this is why I bring this up. Under Obama, when he first took office in 2008, Janet Napolitano was his Secretary of uh, Homeland Security. She put out an advisement of what constituted domestic terrorism. And in that advisement was anyone who supported Ron Paul, sorry, police, was anyone who was a retired or discharged veteran, and wait for it, anyone pro-life or anti-government. Sounds like something out of 1984. Well, guess what? It was there. Well, now, take that advisement, which, of course, they promptly pulled once it was brought to America's attention and America went, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Uh-uh, that ain't going to happen. No, 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 no. So they pull it. Okay. Well, good. Great. But they still have Korematsu. So they could do that, right? This is not conspiracy stuff, guys. Go look it up. You can just type in Korematsu. Type in Janet Napolitano advisory. It's all out there, guys. You can go read it for yourself. It's a simple Google search. Just do the work. Now, okay, so after that, we have the National Defense Authorization Act of 2012. Well, what did that do? 
Well, in the National Defense Authorization Act of 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015, and 2016, it defined that terrorists or people suspected of aiding and abetting terrorists or people suspected of terrorism can be held indefinitely without due process in the name of national security. Combine that, that, under the, that was under the Obama administration. When then candidate Mitt Romney was asked about it, he said, oh, no president would ever use that. No president would ever use that. No president would ever use that authority. Really? FDR did. Bush did. And again, what's the justification? Korematsu. Well, guess what? I looked up the National Defense Authorization Act of 2019. Couldn't find that language in there. What was really scary about the language, though, was it didn't have a definition for what a terrorist is. And you might say, well, that's just self-explanatory. We know what terrorists are. No, we don't. If you any serious study of terrorism, especially in regards to policy, you'll find five to six different definitions of what a terrorist is. We do not have a universal definition of terrorism. Guys, this stuff should scare you. This stuff should give you pause. So, why do I bring it up? Well, I bring it up because you need to know. It's 75 years. Precedent. Korematsu. You can get locked up if the government thinks you're a threat. They don't have to provide you with due process. They don't have to provide you with any reason. They can lock you up. Now, why do I bring that up again? Elections have consequences. I think the reason why the language isn't in there is I think because of the president and the Congress that we have, I think they took it out. And I think they understood. This is dangerous precedent. This is dangerous language. Unfortunately, no one has challenged Korematsu yet. And I think we need to. I think someone needs to stand up for an American who's sitting and rotting in Guantanamo. I don't care. The guy is probably the most vicious, vile, horrible human being that could ever walk this earth. But he still deserves due process. And if you're worried about the media frenzy that the Bush administration was worried about, you can order gag. You can put gag orders on both parties. You can deny the media entrance. You can deny an artist to come in. You can put the whole thing on national security. Classify all court documents. Classify the court reporting. Make them all swear, you know, confidentiality agreements under perjury law, under penalty of treason. Do whatever you got to do, but you can make it secure. And the person can still get their due process. But the person must get due process. We have a constitution to prevent things like this, guys. We have a constitution for this very reason, so that any American citizen can be sure of their, of their justice. All right. Well, guess what? Our time is coming to an end. Again, I try to keep these things really, really short. I don't want to keep you guys long. Plus, uh, I'm pretty wiped. Um, I've been, like I said, I'm, I'm just getting over the flu and strep. But guys, I, I'm really glad that you, you're listening. I'm noticing that we're getting more and more people to listen. 
um, hey, help me out. Get the word out. If you really enjoy listening, if you really enjoy what's going on, get the word out. Tell your friends about the Dinner Table podcast. Tell your friends. We're on, if not all, but the major podcast services. Uh, Definitely Apple, definitely uh, Spotify, all of those out there. So get the word out about the Dinner Table. Help us build our audience um, this information is important. This information needs to be spread. This information needs to be told. We're going to challenge postmodernism. We're going to challenge uh, anti-constitutionalism. We're going to challenge the pro-choice movement. We're going to challenge communists and Marxists and socialists. We're going to challenge the things that threaten to tear down the fabric of our country and what made our country great and what continues to make our country great. So help me out. Join the movement. Get, get around the dinner table and let's be the change we need, like Reagan said. All right? All right, guys. Again, love y'all. Be safe out there. Fight the good fight. And again, God bless.